Hello and welcome to System Mastery, the podcast where the death of horses shows up and claims the horse's soul while we beat on it for 1d6 damage at a time. I'm Jeff, John's around here somewhere, probably rummaging through my belongings for trinkets and shinies, and this week we're going to discuss GURPS. Finally, and not just GURPS, because we don't have that book. Oh no, it's GURPS Discworld. So check your pocket imps, climb aboard Great Atuin, and avoid the sausages in a bun on today's System Mastery. Welcome back. Hey, John. How you doing? I'm headachy and tired, and I got a cat on me. Did you find any trinkets or shinies? I found one thing that might be considered a trinket. You probably want this back. Well, I do go and want that back. Yeah. It's really important to me. Good. All right, great. Well, thank you. You're welcome. Okay, moving on. That's been our improv bit. Next up, we need a location. <laughs> uh, let's see. Ankhma Pork. <laughs> okay. So you're in a theater in Ankhmore Pork and Abraham Lincoln's there. His hat is too big. Go. <laughs> uh, excuse me, sir, but your hat appears to be far too large for this dwarven theater. <laughs> Away with you, dwarf. <laughs> and scene. Good. Okay, that was great. Okay, now we're going to do it. Okay, I'm, I'm done with this bit. <laughs> really, I had more. I'm, I'm over it. Okay. Well, anyway, why no, don't that's we... what Abraham Lincoln said. That was in character. Oh, you're still in character. Oh my I'm gosh, still that in is character right now. That's so Abraham meta. Abraham Lincoln only talks about himself in the third person. <laughs> Known fact, and only about whether or not he's in character. <laughs> yeah, that's why he has all those famous quotes, like <laughs> like a house divided against itself cannot stand. So says Abraham Lincoln, who is totally killing it right now. <laughs> you guys, you don't even know. Abraham Lincoln is the most in character. In union, there is strength. Also, my energy is totally perfect. I'm sorry, Abraham Lincoln's energy is... This is why we're letting you play him. <laughs> yeah, see, that's why you don't. You don't gotta jump in. That's I don't have fine. To, yeah, you're fine. You've got this covered. <laughs> I, I got everything covered. Fancy a sausage in a bun. Ew. <laughs> I, don't I don't mean that because I don't want, you know, dicks and butts. I'm saying ew, sausage in a bun. Because you don't want, want anything made by good old CMOT Dibbler? Yeah, or any of his relatives. Any of his many relatives spread across the mighty disc world. Indeed. Yeah. All right, why don't we talk a little bit about what's going on today? Well, what's going on today is Discworld, brought to you by GURPS. Mm-hmm. You know what? It weirds me out that GURPS, we were having this discussion before, but that it doesn't stand for... General. General. Yeah, you think it should be GURPS, General Universal Role-Playing System, because you can use it to control anything, right? Yeah, but instead it's generic, which makes it just sound, like, bad. Yeah. Or not even bad, just sort of boring. Like it I comes guess... in a blau brown paper bag that just says RPG on the side, like, government role-playing game. Oh yeah, this is definitely the Safeway brand role-playing game. Actually, I kind of like the idea that it's the government surplus, and that way G still works. <laughs> <laughs> government Universal Role-Playing System. Uh, see, they could have done so much better. You could have had, like, the best universal role-playing system. Burps. Yeah, I would totally play Burps. First of all, it's best. You know it's best because it's called Burps and because the B stands for best. Yeah, you look at it and you're like, this isn't generic. This is the best. Yeah. I don't understand. Who named this? This is a Steve Jackson game, right? Yeah. 
Yeah, it is. That's it, right. Yeah. It is Steve Earl Jackson. <laughs> From the fine makers of Car Wars and Tune and Munchkin comes GURPS. GURPS. The generic universal role-playing system. Yeah, you're right. That's just not a good way to start advertising. Yeah. I guess that's why it's called GURPS and not general universal role or generic universal role-playing system. God, that's so boring. I can't even say it on accident, like, <laughs> casually. I will immediately forget and give it a better name. Yeah, it's true. So, GURPS. It's, uh, it's a system. We'll probably have to discuss sort of GURPS in general before or after we get into the Discworld. What do you want to do? Let's just get over with talking about GURPS early on so that we can establish our bona fides that we know what we're talking about a little bit. Well, only a little, though. Because this book comes with the GURPS light rules, which you'll see in several of the GURPS settings books. Yeah, almost every GURPS setting book, especially the core ones, you know, your GURPS uh, Cowboys, GURPS Space, GURPS Discworld, they'll have a little section in the back of GURPS light rules, which is like a little 24 to 32 page rule, rule book that just tells you how to play GURPS light. Yeah, it's not a lot of the stuff that you get in the main book where it'll s explain a lot of the intricate little rules. It doesn't give you as many uh, skills or the merits and flaws and that. It's still in there, mm -hmm. but it doesn't give you the full ridiculous list that you get in the main book. Even that little 32-page section is enough merits and flaws for me that I'm like, ugh. So I, I would be shuddering to try and read the original GURPS. Yeah. No, I, uh, God, it's been, it's been like one 12 week years. since you looked at me. Yeah. Also that. Yeah. <laughs> Man, I wish it had been one week since I've looked at you. <laughs> what if you had some chickety chicken? Chickety China, the Chinese chicken. That's the one. Yeah. Would that, would that be better? Yeah. <laughs> okay, good. Uh, so yeah, it's been about 12 years since I have played a GURPS game. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I have... We played a couple different ones, and we used several different books. So we had, you know, of course, you're using the regular GURPS rules, but we had one game that was uh, very much a cyberpunk game, and then we had one that was a supers. So we've used several of the rules before. Mm -hmm. I, I played this once back in high school, so for me it's been at least, oh God, more, 20 years. Nice. Since, I know, I'm old, I know. Since I played this game. No, it's probably been about 18 years since I played GURPS. And it was a high-tech space game. Oh, okay. Yeah. So we've covered most of the uh, the tech levels then, because that's a thing in GURPS is tech level. Yeah, tech level is probably one of the core elements to what makes GURPS GURPS. It is the setting. That, it tells you basically how far into the technological future your setting is. And it changes certain rules about the game. by It's, it's well, abbreviated yeah, as TL. skills will be... Uh, rated because they're rated from easy to very hard to mm -hmm. learn and at certain tech levels of course it'll be much easier to learn something or much harder to learn something so if you're in the distant past then learning advanced mathematics is going to be much harder than it is now mm -hmm. whereas i don't know that they do this a lot but i'd assume like learning blacksmithing nowadays is not something that would be as easy as say back when people were doing that all the time. I don't feel like GURPS really takes the rarity or niche nature of older jobs into consideration when it does them. It's not like barrel craft gets harder in the future. It's just 
more obscure and and it, it, you just yeah. have a robot that makes barrels do yeah. it for you. Like it's, I mean, granted, it is particularly difficult to do barrel craft in this day and age. You have to like go find the one guy in your state who is still a cooper, yeah, and be like, hey man, can I can I join you as a journeyman or apprentice? And he's like, look, my name is Cooper. Quit bothering me. There's only one guy in my state named Cooper. Yeah, man. Wait, his, his name is first Coop name? Cooperton. Oh, it's first name too. Okay, that yeah. makes more sense. That is some hipster crap. <laughs> well, I don't know. I'm using hipster kind of interchangeably these days. That's sort of an annoying thing to be. Yeah, named. that's sort of a weird thing that a hipster would do. That's yeah. Hipsters just constantly <laughs> call other people hipsters. <sighs> I don't know. What do you call those people that listen to the Claps and Hayes type bands? Are those hipsters or are those no, just? Those, that's me. That's you. You like that stuff. I fucking love, love that claps cl- and haze. Claps and haze. I love any song that has a banjo and a clap track. Yeah, that's true. One hundred percent guarantee. I'm gonna love it. Yeah, that's right. I guess I hadn't really taken that into consideration. Would you join in with me on starting a hipster style band called the Claps and Haze? I would. I would totally do that. I would love to be the lead singer of the Claps and Haze. Oh, that's perfect because I can't sing for shit, but I want to be in the band somehow. Well, you can be the lead clapist. Can I be the clapist and can I also be the hayer? <laughs> you are the titular member of this band. Yeah, <laughs> this band's named after me, but you're the lead singer. Yeah. What do you What do you do? Oh, I do claps and haze in the band. Claps and haze. You may have heard of us, but probably not. <laughs> hey, I feel like if we started that band and all of our songs were just "Hey," then people might actually flock to us. There's a chance it worked for of monsters and men. There is a non-zero chance. Yeah, we get a few people. A few people in rolled up white peasant shirts, no shoes, suspender style pants. Yeah, we get some of those guys. Just a few waxed beards. Uh, okay. Back on topic. Mason jars with artisanal beer floats in them. I'm sorry, I, I had a little more. <laughs> we're, a little more in the tank we're, there. We're done. I, I think I got it all. Okay, good. Yeah. All right. Plaid so- shirts. <laughs> God damn you! <laughs> get out. Go ahead. Go ahead. Please, by all means, go ahead. So, adult kickball there league. There we go. There it is. <laughs> uh, all right. So, GURPS has only four stats. That's correct. Which at least is a little nice that it splits off from the standard six. It doesn't do the D&D. But you do have strength, dex, IQ, and health. Mm-hmm. And... The stats are all going to range generally from about 3 to 18. Yes. They can go higher than that. Yeah. But don't let you don't let yourself get fooled to think that that means it's a 3D6 system because it can go from 3 to 18. It's But it's, it it's, is a 3D6 system. Well, okay, the, the mechanic of the I mean D&D is not a 3D6 system. This is an actual 3D6 yes. system. You roll 3D6 for all of your resolutions. What I Whereas mean is you that, don't roll 3D6 for your stats. That's what I was trying to get across. Thank you. Yeah, see? Because it is a 3D6 system, though. Yeah, it's it might be the only one. Maybe. Yeah. Just maybe. It could be. <laughs> Don't worry. Take long sips of the drink. I'm going to cut all that. Oh, it's yeah. so good. All right. Okay. So, your starting... Stats are all going to be tens is the average. Mm-hmm. That costs you none of your points. Mm-hmm. And depending on the game you are in, you'll have a certain amount of points to make your character. If it's a low power game, you'll probably be looking at something like 50. I think 50 is supposed to be the lowest possible starting yeah, point. Yeah, that's a low power. You are going to be playing some shit farmer. That's like if you want to play Call of Cthulhu or something like that. And your character is literally like, I'm you, a doctor. I'm an adjunct professor. Yeah. 
you have one thing that you can do. You aren't particularly amazing at anything. Yeah. It's okay if you die because you didn't spend that long making this guy. Yeah, this is yeah. not a heroic protagonist. This is someone that is swept up in events. I'm the RA of a local fraternity. Now, past that, you usually are going to start with about 100 is your average starting character. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you can go up from there. Like, if you were playing in a superheroes game, you'd probably end up starting with, like, 200-something points just because you'd have to get all of your stats and all of the normal merits and flaws and then all of your superpowers, which are super expensive. Yes. So it's very easy to take this game right up to, like, 250, 275 points if you want to play as crazy superpowered like, demigods. Yeah. Uh, although... It generally tends to be that the more that you uh, add points to this game, also the more you add complexity. Yeah, because there's gonna... a lot more stuff you can spend points on. Yeah, like if you go online and look around it, because I've done this back before we got a hold of this game. This doesn't count as research, everybody, <laughs> but I went back and looked at some of the ways you can build like 50-point powers in GURPS that'll like destroy the world. Oh, yeah. that's It's one of the problems with a game that gets a little too universal. Yeah. Is eventually you've covered so many powers and combos it's just like feet bloat in D D, where you go oh someone who wrote whatever book didn't look at this book and if you combine these two all of a sudden you get to do something earth shattering yeah like for example in D D, where in fourth edition where you can offensively teleport the sun yeah <laughs> that was an accident you know, what, you, know you know it's a solid accident in any game design is never use sight or line of sight as a range yeah that is a terrible idea yeah because someone is going to come up with something that lets you extend your vision out to some ridiculous amount. You don't need to extend your vision out to a ridiculous amount. Your vision is basically exactly measured by how far other things travel to get to your vision. Which means all you have to do is say, oh, I see the sun. It's in my line of sight. I teleported here. Oh, except you can't. Because rules is written, I can't see the moon. No, that's Which is why when someone yeah. co- walks up to you and says, look, man, I'm the moon. They're like... Oh, well, I've never seen it before. It's possible. That is true. But that's not third. That's not fourth edition. I think that was first edition where we established that it's possible to have your line of sight restricted to the point where you've never seen the stars. Oh, yeah. Well, third, even third edition was, oh, your uh, your ability to see things extends out to X amount of feet. Yeah. And then you take penalties for going past that, which means seeing the moon is literally impossible <laughs> for anyone. Completely impossible unless you have one of those auto-succeed rolls. Although I think it also has modifiers built in for how large the object is you're trying to see at a distance. Therefore, the moon is so huge that its modifier balances over and it's impossible not to see the moon. Which means even if you're like in a dungeon or something, you can still see the moon. <laughs> <laughs> this has been weird, dumb interactions. The end. So anyway, yeah, there are four stats. You got your four stats. You what are they? Uh, the strength, dex, IQ, and health. Thank you. So all of them are going to govern certain things. Uh, strength, obviously, going to be more about dealing the damage. Health, in addition to being sort of the constitution of the game, where it's going to govern, like, oh, whether or not a poison or something affects you, it is also just straight up your hit points. So if I have a 12 health, I can take 12 hits before I'm unconscious. I can take many more hits than 12 before I go unconscious, I'll tell you that. Are you, are you talking about, like, what, bong rips? What are you What are you doing here? I don't know. What's is, the hits here? Is hits and, can, can you say you were taking hits of alcohol? Is that a thing? No. No? That's shots. Okay, fine. Drinks. Drinks. All right. Yeah, no, I'm talking about uh, straight-up drug takes. Yeah, I I get so many hits off the Splifflers. <laughs> the Splifflers. The Spliffler! Man. I'll get you, Batman! I'm, 
Spiffler. I'm the Spiffler. The Spiffler? Wait, does that one commit like Calvin and Hobbes themed crimes? No, the he's space just got man a really Spiffler. sexy mom. Spiffler's mom is real sexy. <laughs> Woo! We went all over the place with that one. There's so many stupid cuts in there. What do we get? We got Calvin and Hobbes in American Pie. Good yeah, stuff. Good job. All right. So uh, you also have your decks, which is going to govern most of your physical skills. And then IQ governs most of your mental skills. Okay. Uh, there and are a few things where, uh, like, some of the physical skills will be strength-based instead of dex. Mm-hmm. But the way skills work are either you are skilled in it, you bought some ranks in that, or you aren't and it has a default. So let's say I'm trying to pick a lock. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I don't have any ranks in that, then it's a very difficult thing to do, which means the role is IQ minus five. Right. So what you're going to do is take whatever your IQ stat is, and the average is 10, subtract five from it, and then try to resolve the res- roll the result or less on 3D6. Yeah, you got to try and get a five or less on 3D6, and that's going to be fairly difficult if you aren't skilled in it. Now, it's amusing to me that at certain values in this game, when you're really, really bad at something, it, it increases the odds that your success will be a critical one. If you succeed at all, it's likely to be a crit. However, it also increases the chances of critical failure. When we'll, we'll let's talk go about ahead that. and talk yeah. about crits. Sure. So crits are the maximum on the dice or the minimum. Yeah. So a three, always a critical success. Three or four, actually. Yes, a three or a four is always a critical success. A five is a critical success if your stat in the the uh, thing you're rolling on is high enough, and it can actually be as high as a six. If you have an 18 or higher in the stat that you're using as your roll, then a roll of six or less is a critical success. And at the same, by the same token, crit failures can get as low. I think it's uh, as well, it's, low as 16. It's 18 for yeah. always uh, on crit. Always yeah. crit failure. 17 is a crit failure if you've got a uh, 16 or higher in it. It's a regular failure. Yes, that's right. Yeah, But if you've yeah. got a 16 or lower, 17 turns into a crit. There failure. you go. And then anytime you have a stat, whatever your effective role would be, is 10 less than whatever the uh, whatever you rolled. So let's say like my effective stat was a 5 and I ended up rolling a 15. That's a critical failure. Yes. So you can get fairly high up and fairly high down on the dice rolls depending on how good or bad you are at it. Mm-hmm. And then you will... Crit horribly or wonderfully, but what does it mean to crit? Oh, well, that's entirely DM arbitrary in this game, with one exception. At least in GURPS Light. Normally, it just says if you crit or crit fail, your DM will tell you what happens. Yeah, something appropriate. Something appropriately good or bad. There is one exception to that, though, which is that a crit success on a combat roll to hit someone always hits and always bypasses their defense. It always gets you. It always gets you. So that's, that's the one exception. Yeah. So you have uh, a, you know, general uh, defense that someone has to beat if yeah, they're trying to a, hit you. You have a passive and an active defense, and you can set them both, and you can apply your active defense as a bonus to your passive defense if you're defending actively against something, if you've saved an action to use as a defense. Yeah, if you didn't, then it's just whatever my passive defense is, they have to beat that. Yeah, and notably, that's just to hit you, at which point you get to roll your own defense if you're if you're actively defending, and your active defense, and we talked about this a while back when we talked about uh, big, big eyes, small mouth, Yeah, uh, was your active defense in this game has nothing to do with the attack roll that's used against you. 
Yeah, unless they crit and auto hit you, yeah, then it doesn't matter what they rolled because if you've got a good defense, you can just roll under. Yeah, and that means that this is one of those games where one of the core, the core flaws built into the game is that all you have to do is pump your own defense so high that you'll never fail that, and that way the only time anyone hits you is if they crit. Yeah. Which, so, meh. You know, pretty low odds. If it's if they crit on threes, then they're critting at what? One in every 218 times? Yeah. You're probably doing pretty good. But there's, uh, there's something to be said about trying to pump up your own two-hit since it does pump up your auto crit. Yeah, but not by very much. Your chances to roll a six or less on 3d6 are pretty low. Yeah. So it seems like it's a game where defense is king. At least they did leave in that safety valve of critting. Yeah. So, which is something that Big Eye Small Mouth did not. No. Yeah. So you always have the chance to either just fail at your defense roll mm-hmm. or they can auto-succeed at the attack roll. So you can't just say, oh, yeah, I, I have a ridiculous, like, 20 to defense, so I never fuck it up. But, no, you will. Yeah, no. So there are only three roles that they talk about in the uh, GURPS light. They call them the three role the, the three roles in the system. One of them is your uh, success and, and, and uh, skill role, which is basically this 3D6 thing we've been talking about. Another is a damage role. So weapons do individual amounts of damage, and you roll those and compare them against the armor value of the target you're swinging at. And the third is the reaction role. And uh, reaction role, we've talked about before, way back in like first edition D&D. It's the opinion that an NPC has of you based on when they first meet you. Yeah, there is a lot of games out there that will have like a table out there that says, oh, depending on your charisma or whatever, you'll have a bonus or a negative to people that meet you. Like, Okay, great, sure. If you're from the kingdom that you're in, then you get a little bonus because you know them better. Or maybe you're real ugly, so you have a negative. But you'll meet someone, and instead of it being like, oh, okay, well, I walked into the the store and I said, hey, I want to spend $10 million. And the shopkeeper goes, I like you, you're my best friend. Yeah. You walk into a store and go, I want to spend $10 million. Then I have to roll a die, and then the shopkeeper might go, Get out. I hate you. Yeah, it's always this very swingy chart. At least when it uses bell curves, it's a little better. But it's weird that there are shopkeepers out there that are like, I will try to murder you or anyone that supports you the moment you meet them because of a weird role. Yeah, and it's especially weird when you take it past the players. Like, when you start applying this to the world, it's just like, oh, yeah, I got home and I met my wife and I just randomly decided I hated her. Yeah. And then I walked into a room and a guy tried to stab me and I was like, you know what, you're okay. Yeah, it's just... It's never been a very good idea, and I don't feel like... I mean, I can't say this for certain, but I feel like a lot of players and game tables in particular ignore this. I've never seen anyone use the reaction table, ever. No, in, in any game. I've never come across it. I feel like I might have done once back when I was playing a lot of D&D with, with Boy Scouts, and it was just animal encounters. It was like, how does this animal react to druids? Let's roll on the encounter table. Oh, yeah. I think maybe... It was one of our players asked to use the encounter role just because he had yeah, you a have high charisma guy. Yeah. And he was like, look, all I want is for this guy to give me a uh, discount on what I'm buying. Roll on the table and see if he likes me enough to do that. Yeah, and the roles, and the problem is the tables are always so swingy with the high end being always being like, oh, I will murder you. And not only will I murder you, but I will actively seek to get other people to murder you. And then the bottom end is things like he gently takes your penis and guides it towards his sister. <laughs> yeah, no, the the high end of like, oh, yeah, this guy loves you. I'm just being like, oh, yeah, I rolled really well. And I said hi to someone who went, I will die for you. My life for you. Bumpty bump. 
Yeah, it's weird. It, it, I'm surprised that it has such a high position in GURPS Lite. To be one of the three core roles of the game is this thing. Even the book, like even GURPS Discworld's little section on what the reaction role is, has this thing that's like, look, a lot of DMs are going to straight up ignore this and uh, just make it work based on you know context. Like when you walk into the room, if you have your swords drawn and you're scowling at everybody, then no one's going to like you. Yeah. And that's that's the problem with those roles is it ends up turning into either you never use it or it's just a thing that a player att- occasionally attempts to exploit. Yes, that it, or the DM religiously uses it and the game falls apart because of weird outlier roles. Yeah. We're like, you guys meet the king for the first time and he has a mighty quest for you, but first, he hates you to death. <laughs> <laughs> so, to his own death. He has a stroke from how much he hates you. Yeah. So the uh, the only other thing, really, in making your character for this is going to be the the merits and flaws. I knew that this was going to happen because, you know, I've read GURPS. I even played GURPS. So I knew going in that this is the core merits and flaws book. Oh, yeah. This is this is the system that is all about the merits and flaws, 100%. It's how your character is built. And, you know, it's 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 not like it's the worst job in the world. It's it's all right. There's a lot of the, I'd say honestly, after all the the drumming that we just gave to the reaction roll system, the thing that's the most annoying about the uh, merits and flaws in this game is that at least in the GURPS light core rules, like eighty percent of the merits and flaws you can take strictly in- influence the reaction roll system and don't do anything else. Oh yeah, there's a bunch of things in this book, specifically this book, that are all about reaction rolls. Whether it whether it's like oh you come from a weird other culture, so people don't react to you well. Or you kind of stink, or you're ugly, or you are a member of the lower class, or whatever the hell it happens to be. There are so many. And not even just the penalties. There's also the ones where it's like, oh, you have all these bonuses because you're pretty, or you're part of the nobles, or you're whatever. Yeah, or you're wealthy, or something like that. A lot of them, you know, being wealthy or being noble come along with secondary benefits. But there are also a ton of them that are just things like... You are from a weird minority group, and no one likes that minority group. You have a minus four reaction penalty. Or just, you are charming. The only thing this merit does is make it so that your reaction roll is better. Yeah. Ugh, who cares? I feel like, especially given how much that's usually getting house-ruled out of games, that that is the ultimate way to munchkin your way around in this system. Be like, okay, my character is hideously unattractive... And he has a odious personal habit where he has to spit constantly onto the the waiting hands of anyone else in the party, <laughs> and uh, that gives him minus seven to reaction rolls. But we're not using those. Yeah, and the the weird thing about that is, you have these games that have those roles, like these tables that exist, but then also have skills like seduction or diplomacy or whatever, and you go. You know, you already established that one of the things that happens is this is how people react to me, and yet you put in the skill of making people react to me in a certain way. Yeah. I mean, I know that that's generally going to be, oh, uh, you meet the king and he wants to kill you, and you go, okay, well, I'll roll diplomacy to make it so he doesn't want to kill me anymore. Yeah, that's useful. That's that's a great way to change the system. Although, honestly, the king shouldn't want to kill you. I mean, if you if, if you walk into the king to get a quest and he's like, oh, you fuckers. Yeah, that's like, just weird. That's just weird, and it just broke your little story and fix it. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Okay, so anyway, there are a lot of other merits and flaws in this. A lot. Well, yeah, it's GURPS. There's a ton. There's very little in the book itself, mm-hmm. but in general, yes. 
In, yeah. or, or, sorry, I mean in generic, yes. In generic, yeah. uh, uh. In government, there are not that many merits and flaws. Except in Congress, what a bunch of clowns, am I right? Uh-huh. Topical humor. <laughs> uh, so, that's the basic rules for the GURPS. You're going to have the 3D6, you're going to make a character, you're going to have some points, and you're going to have... Just merits and flaws and ways you get around things. Yeah, you buy ranks and skills, and there's a there's a not terrible combat system. I'd say if there's anything about the combat system I found wonky, it was that there's a rule called Snapshot. I don't know there's if it's a rule called Snapchat. Yeah, there's a rule called Snapchat. Now, ninety percent of the time when you get a Snapchat, it's probably boobs or a dick, and then the other ten percent of the time, it's that Snapchat acts, decided to send you a dumb little cartoon about what holiday it is. Yeah, they're like, hey, Team Snapchat wants you to know it's Halloween. Oh, thanks, Team here's, Snapchat. Here's a little cartoon that you're going to turn on for a second, so it'll count itself down in the background. Yeah. And then it disappears, and so you don't have the dumb little ghost icon until there's boobs again. Yeah. Or or a dick. Man. What would Discworld Snapchat be? Because it'd probably be an actual literal ghost that shows up and plays images in your head. Well, it's always imps, right? I mean, it's 90% of the time when, well, no, when because some... it's because it's a ghost thing on there. It would okay, just be a yeah. ghost. It would be a ghost who pops into your head, possesses you for a second, and leaves a dumb image in your head that begins to fade right away. Yeah. And you're like, oh, man, this ghost showed me something, and now I can't remember it anymore. Yeah, and his name would be Snapchat. <laughs> oh, Snapchat. <laughs> yeah. That's how they do on the Discworld. Yeah. So let's get into the Discworld part of GURPS Discworld, now that we've covered the GURPS part. All right, I guess we'll leave that snapshot thing dead on the vine. <laughs> sure, let's do it. Get well, the- no, that's what I'm saying, is that would be a thing in Discworld. <laughs> God damn it. Fine, Discworld, here we go. Discworld. Let's talk about that. First of all, I think the major thing to note about this book is that it's written by two people, and uh, while I don't remember the one who is not Terry, Ad- or Terry Pratchett, because who cares, the other one is Terry Pratchett. <laughs> Oh, the other one, aside from Terry Pratchett, is Phil Masters. And I know that because the book's in front of me. Good job. But yeah, Terry Pratchett actually participated in the creation of this book a lot. Which is really nice. Because normally, when you read one of those world books for something, it goes one of two ways. The first way is it doesn't matter at all. Mm -hmm. And it's just dry as toast and super boring. And is like, all right, here is the rules... For playing in the Firefly universe, you will have a ship. These are the stats for that ship. You will be a, quote, big damn hero, unquote. Or or it it has some of the trappings of the world, but they don't want to make it easy for players because they hate the fact that the movie had interesting storylines to it. Like Star Wars, where it's the uh, the original, the uh, D6 Star Wars, where they're like, Hey, if your ship breaks, it'll take you a month of dry docking to fix your ship. And in the meantime... You'll have to roll ten times, and if you fail a roll, you'll catch the space scurvy. Yeah. So, there are those. Then there's the other end, which is your World of Tales from the Crypt, or Buffy the Vampire Slayer RPG, where they are trying a little too hard to be that, but they don't have the original writers or talent to do so, so it ends up just being this weird, almost parody of the world that they're trying to get across. Yeah, uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer in particular had a lot of issues where it was like, you could play a group that's just like the Scoobies. Perhaps you could play as uh, the Jabberjaws. <laughs> or, or, oh, man, I want to do that. They have to call themselves the Jabberjees. <laughs> the Jabberjees. Not the Jabbies, the Jabberjees. 
<laughs> oh, Jabberjees. <laughs> you got the Jabberjees. And then one of them is a cool hero with superpowers. And then another one is a giant shark that goes, yuck, yuck, yuck. <laughs> oh, God, I've forgotten, I've forgotten the car. What was the car? Uh, speed buggy. Speed buggy. There uh, we go. Don't, don't temp- test me on heroes from... Uh, All right, quick. Give me... Uh, I was going to say... <laughs> I was about to give you the quiz on it, but I almost said, give me the funky phantom. <laughs> give me the funky phantom. <laughs> give me that funky phantom. <laughs> that is that is a dirty request, sir. <laughs> I'm not going to throw you a funky phantom. Just We're in the middle of a recording, first of all. I don't have any of the tools I would need. <laughs> Where am I going to find the proper hat and snorkel for a funky fan? Yeah, I'm going to need a tricorn hat and one of those snorkels that has a little water block valve. <laughs> I mean, just to get started. Yeah. Oh, man. So, well, I know where I could find that stuff, but at first I'd have to exit. Stage left, even. Nice. Well done, sir. The funky phantom. The funky phantom. Look him up, people. Come on, he was on Scooby-Doo, Mystery Incorporated. Oh yeah, he did have an episode on that. That kind of takes all the sting out of how much I used to think I knew about Hanna-Barbera's side characters. Uh, is that Because I'm like, I can name all the characters in the Laugh-Olympics. Oh man, Laugh-Olympics was the best show ever. Well, except for Space Race, yes. Eh. No, Space Race is better than the Laugh-Olympics. Nah. Because the Space Race is always Dirk dastardly cheating in a stupid way, even though he's already winning. <laughs> Just win, Dirk! No. You have a cool ship! And he's like, he's like, I can't win. Muttley and I need to drop these caltrips that'll get paint all over everybody. <laughs> Thank you, Muttley. <laughs> what the hell are we talking about? I don't know. Okay, so Gorps. The reason we brought that up is because it actually has Terry Pratchett writing for it. The oh, yeah. The feel of Discworld comes through in the book. It's actually one of the few RPGs that is fun to read. Like, I know a lot of people will be like, oh, yeah, I read this for fun, but mostly it was just I wanted to see what the world was. Yeah. Or I, I, the mechanics. I like reading about mechanics a whole lot, so that's that's part of what draw, draw, drew me to do the podcast in the first place. But with this, it's it's a pleasure to read because you get that Pratchett wit in the book as well. You really do. It's almost like reading another little Pratchett novel. It's nice. I like it. Yeah. Also, there are so many little digs at White Wolf, and I love it so much. <laughs> that's amazing. Well, I mean, you're going to get some of that, because this book has both vampires and werewolves in it. And that's when it comes up. Yeah. Anytime it's talking about, like, Uberwald and the vampires that live there, and then it'll just go off on a little tangent for about three sentences that just makes fun of White Wolf, and then comes right back to the game. Yeah. So one of the things I thought was very notable about the GURPS setting for Discworld is that it hardly mentions GURPS in the slightest. This is basically just a bunch of stories about how to roleplay in Discworld, and you barely need the GURPS book. Oh, yeah. There's a couple sections where it'll go, all right, here's some very specific merits and flaws for Discworld. Oh, there's stuff like, you know, the stats to play a dwarf. Oh, yeah. There's the uh, packages that you can get for, are you playing a vampire? Are you playing a dwarf? There's a few spells that are specific to Discworld. Yes, and that was something I found very interesting, is that they didn't want to take... And they mentioned it in the sidebar in the book, but you know, one of the things that's very noticeable about, about Discworld... And let's go ahead and establish. John, have you read Discworld stuff? I've read so much Discworld. And you're a fan, right? Yes. Yeah, okay. I am also a huge fan of Discworld and anything Terry Pratchett ever did. So we're coming to this one from a, from a place of love to begin with. Yeah. Uh, one of the things about Discworld is that rarely do spells do anything useful. Or even occur most of the time. Yeah. Like, you'll have an entire book 
that takes place at like unseen university and maybe two or three spells will get cast well, the whole time. They're always going to cast the right of Ashkente <laughs> because I, I'm sure I'm pronouncing that wrong. I've always felt like there's probably a joke in that word yeah, that I'm not seeing. It's Ashkenta. Ashkenta? Yeah, for Ashkenter. Oh, okay. That makes yeah. sense. Fair enough. So they're going to usually per- perform the rite of Ashkenta so that they can talk to death. Yeah. And that's one of the very few that we know is an actual, like, written down, codified spell. A lot of the rest of the wizards in this book are just like, oh, you got your Mustrum Ridcully. What's his spell? Well, mostly just being Teddy Roosevelt. Oh, yeah. He just runs around and he's like, ha ha! Yeah. And he hits someone with a cane or shoots someone with a crossbow and is just like, yeah, man, I'm I'm a punch wizard. That's basically what I'm, I'm doing. I'm technically also a wizard, but you'd be hard-pressed to prove it. <laughs> I mean, my staff has a knob on the end. <laughs> yeah, a wizard staff does have a knob on the end. <laughs> I don't see why that's confusing. <laughs> of course it does. If it did, it would just be a big stick. <laughs> uh, and then you do get, uh, there's the difference between wizards and witches in this. Mm-hmm. And, of course, you get one of the iconic things from the witches in Discworld, which is the huh, which is <laughs> <laughs> their ability to ride something else's senses, sort borrowing. of possess them. Yeah. yeah, the borrowing. Yeah, so they can they can briefly go up and be an eagle for a while to fly around as an eagle. And, and it, it also mentions that at the end of it, you'll probably do something nice for the animal that you took over, and that it's possible to get stuck and be an eagle for like forever, which I think happened in one of the books, where some guy showed up having been a hawk for the past like ten years. Oh yeah. So it's, so it's one of those things where if you're too long in one of these bodies, you come back to being human as a little bit like that. Have you heard the recent rumor? That, uh, this reminds me of something that, that apparently is a, a recent uh, rumor about uh, Game of Thrones. No. Apparently, there's, you know, Hodor, the character Hodor? Yes. Like, I know you didn't even watch the show, but I know you know who Hodor is. Yeah, of course I know who Hodor is. I'm on the internet. I know the memes. Yeah, so apparently... They showed an episode recently where Hodor was a young man, like they did a flashback episode, and when he's a young man, he has like a name that isn't Hodor, and he can, <laughs> and he can talk. Like he's normal. He's a normal kid. And so there is a rumor floating around that Hodor uh, was a warg, which on that show is people who can do the borrowing and oh. go into animals for a while and run around as them, yeah. and he accidentally ho- warged a horse and just got stuck in the horse. So for the rest of <laughs> now he's just a horse that, that's in a human body. Nice. And that's why all he can say is Hodor. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and he like, why he likes to carry people around. There you go. That's I li- good. I like the idea. Anyway. That's a good idea. Just thought I'd bring that up. It's it's funny to me that Game of Thrones is, if it, if that's true, that Game of Thrones is liberally borrowing from Discworld. <laughs> yes, it is the borrowing from Discworld. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they also mentioned the other type of uh, spellcaster that exists in the Discworld. In one book, which are the color of magic or something, which no sorcerer, I think it was yeah, just it called was sorcerer, sorcerer, which is someone who can access like the very beginning of magic. Yeah, and uh, yeah, they those get into are, yeah, those are that. So there's spells. Yeah, you got some spells, you got some stuff, but most of the book is setting information. Yes, which is interesting because they give you both the sort of before and after of a lot of the books. Mm-hmm. So it'll be talking about say. Uh, the Omnian religion, and saying, okay, well, before the events of Small Gods, this is what was going on. If you place it after the events of Small Gods, this is what's going on. Mm-hmm. And they'll do that for basically every country. Yeah. And I thought it was amusing that they basically did their best to expand the world using the Discworld setting as a, as a jumping-off point. 
like I was saying earlier, it's amusing to me that the Wizards in this game are full spellcasters. They, they cast spells using spell points, they regularly have a lot of spells at their disposal, and they are encouraged to use them frequently, which is the antithesis of, of the way that the books are written, which is spellcasters do their best to avoid casting spells because it's lunchtime. Yeah. Uh, they have way better things to do, like napping and eating. Yeah, and being crazy. Yeah. Yeah, building high-energy computers. Sending people out to get some materials so that they can make some weird dumb thing that yeah. will probably blow up. Mistakenly calling the librarian a monkey. <laughs> and then getting the cripe beak out of you. The cripe beak. The, the cripe beak out of you. The cripey. <laughs> getting that cripey out of you. Oh, the Cri- cripey. Cripey sounds like some kind of Scottish breakfast. Oh, yeah, I got the cripey. <laughs> I'll have the cripey and speck. <laughs> anyway, uh, so what I meant to say by all this was that, you know, they have the werewolf in the Discworld universe. They have Corporal Angua. Yeah. The, the werewolf from Uberwald to Captain Carrot's girlfriend, et, et cetera, et cetera. So they mentioned, well, could there be other were creatures in the Discworld? Yeah, sure. There, there might be some shark ones out around the Betrovi Islands, and there might be were bears somewhere in Uberwald. Yeah, because, you know, if it makes sense for what you're doing, of course there is. Yeah, I like the permissive nature of the way that this book is written. Just yeah. go ahead, doesn't matter. Well, the other thing is the way that Discworld works, sort of the defining principle of Discworld is it works on the idea of narrative. Yes. And I thought that that was amusing the way that this book handles that. Like the role-playing game conventions of this book interact with the Discworld conventions of narrative. Yeah. And I mean, this does come up in the books themselves, but to have it also show up in the role-playing game as in the books, it is mentioned at least a couple times that if ever the odds against something happening are a million to one exactly, then it is guaranteed to happen. Well, actually, it crops up nine times out of ten. <laughs> that's that's the official ruling. It'll happen. I, I'm still waiting for one. Well, I guess I will wait forever at this point. I'm making myself sad right now. Oh. God damn it. That, that there was one where someone made a million to one shot, and then because of the one time in ten it will fail, it failed. <laughs> that would be amusing to me. Because <laughs> through the two layers, it doesn't make it. There was oh. at least one book where I remember that the characters were trying to interact with that mechanic. Yeah. It was Corporal Nobbs having to make an archery shot, and he kept making it harder and harder on himself to try to get to a one in a million chance. And so it brings that up in the book. Yeah. And there's even a little sidebar later in the book that says, if your players are constantly trying to engineer things to be a million to one shot, then maybe screw with them a little bit. Just a little. Not much. You know. If they're doing it for literally everything they need to do, yeah. then maybe tell them to cut it out. But if they do it like once an adventure where something is important, they're like, hold on, I need to make this a million to one shot, yeah. then just let them. Yeah, the, the whole idea of narrative convention is so cool in this book, where it's saying things like, you know, oh, if, you're, if your character falls off a mountain and that's not an interesting way to die, then have something interesting happen to them instead. Oh, yeah. If your great villain that you've been fighting falls off of the edge of the cliff, and no body is found, they are definitely alive and coming after you. Yeah. I thought that was all pretty clever. So there are a couple of playable races that they give you the stats for in here. Yep. And those are the ones you would expect from the Discworld universe. So there's dwarves, and they mention that dwarves... Oh, one thing I really wanted to mention when I was talking about Discworld in general is that, to me, it feels a lot like I'm just reading TV tropes when I'm reading this book. Because, <laughs> you know, you read it like, you're like, all right, tell me about the Bursar. What's going on with the Bursar? And it's like, the Bursar has an, in all caps, odious personal habit. He is also ambidextrous. And I'm like, do I click these? Will it take me to a list of anime characters that are also ambidextrous? And a bunch of little stories that start with, this troper considers himself to be ambidextrous. <laughs> 
It's just it's just a artifact of the way that the game interacts because the merits and flaws are so important that they just define the characters. Well, yeah, because you can't write up a character. It'll give you stats for like, okay, here's Rincewind. Here's his stat line. Yeah. But because it's GURPS, you can't just say, okay, he's got these stats, whatever, and this is what he acts like. You can't say this is how he acts. You have to say, all right, well, he has cowardly as a uh he is a and they don't do it that way in the book they try to write it into the sentences so they say things like rincewind is cowardly and and, he has a knack for languages and he is resourceful and then those words are capitalized yeah so that you know that they are actual merits or flaws yeah they do have a write-up where it'll be just all in one thing but when they're talking about them they continually have to mention the little bits of pe- and pieces of the game world that exist in their stats. And the one that made it so noticeable and so TV tropesy for me was specifically odious personal habit. Yeah. Because that's that's a uh, flaw you can take. And it's things like, oh, you have horrible breath or you spit a lot or you're cur- you curse constantly. Yeah. And since it's such a catch-all, everyone in the Discworld has it. Yeah, well, odious personal habit being that it's, again, one of those flaws that is, oh, what does this do? It only affects your reaction table. Yeah. And because it does nothing mechanically against you, just sort of hurts that, and you can pick something like, oh, he's constantly picking at his scabs. Right. Okay, great. That's Nobby. There you go, but but it doesn't do anything, so it's like, oh yeah, of course everyone has one of those. I would have one of those if I was in this game, because that's free points. Yeah. Well, the thing is... Odious personal habit is too catch-all to be using in a sentence, like when you're just trying to write up the book, because it, as a flaw, it incorporates any gross or annoying thing that a character does. And we're talking about Discworld here, and everyone in the books is gross or annoying in at least one way. Even the characters who are absolutely not, like Corporal Carrot. Oh, yeah. Well, even if you look at, like, Vetinari. Yeah. Havelock Vetinari, or Carrot in particular. Carrot Iron Founderson is like, what are you? Oh, I'm 100% a Boy Scout. But he also has an odious personal habit, which is that he constantly cites all the laws. Yeah. And it's it's just one of those things where you you don't get to get around it because the setting itself is based around people that have really larger-than-life personalities. Mm -hmm. And so not only their merits, but their flaws are all going to be larger-than-life. Yeah. So it's not just, oh, this person maybe is a little dirty. It's No, if someone's dirty on Discworld, they are filthy. They are actually Pigpen with a cloud of dirt that follows them around. Yeah, and they're going to say something like, bugger it, Millennium Hand and Shrimp. (laughs) That is exactly what they will do. I feel like we ran into that guy at Jack in the Box today. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that... That that is true. That man definitely needed a duck on his head. Oh my gosh, he wanted to tell us about RFID tags and illegal implantations and stuff. Uh, and I was so like, good. "You flew too close to the internet, sir, <laughs> and you were blinded by the alternet or uh, whatever you want to call it, info wars." Yep. <laughs> yeah, that was unfortunate. But anyway, moving on. Uh, so everyone's got an odious personal habit and, and you know it's not a big deal it's just the way the mechanics of the game interact with Discworld. it's just it, it made me feel like i was reading tv tropes sometimes because of all the capitals <laughs> so moving on from there it does give you the stories and stats for all of your favorite Discworld characters yeah and it goes into all of the various places you could be yeah there's even places i swear i've read every Discworld book and there are places i've never heard of uh, I have not read every Discworld book because, man, there are a lot. Yes, there are. Uh, but there are a few that I've managed to skip, and there were some that weren't specifically like, here's a Discworld novel. 
but yeah, there there's were ones, stories like if you, the We Free Men and things like that. Yeah, they did those as children's books. Yeah, and those are amazing, and they do mention them. Those are in this book. They're imps or no, 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 they're uh, gnomes or goblins. Yeah, and you've got uh, I think even Cohen the Barbarian had his own standalone book at one point. Yeah, he did, and so did Susan Stowe Hellet. Yeah, uh, but specifically that country, I think it's called like Crawl or Scrawl or something like that, and it's the only country that's on the edge. And it's full of like wizards with dark skin, like, like literally like charcoal skin, like like oh, uh, yeah. like drow. They're the ones who do the astrozoology. I do not know what the hell book that's from. That's the very beginning. It's color of magic. Oh, it is. It's in color of God. I've read color of magic, and I don't remember that in the slightest. Okay, it's it. Well, the the first two books with Rincewind are essentially one book that got split up. Mm-hmm. So light fantastic and color of magic are the ones where he meets that he flies over the edge in a spaceship to see. Uh, Great Atuin. Okay. And the four elephants whose names no one remembers. Yeah. I mean, they're in there. There's even the name of the fifth elephant. Oh, God. They have the name of the fifth elephant in this book? That's amazing. (laughs) Oh, wow. Anyway, the fifth elephant, by the way, crashed into Uberwald at some point, and now there's fat deposits there that that the dwarves go and mine. Yeah. There you go. That's the fifth elephant. (laughs) (laughs) Knowledge. I gots it. So, yeah. Uh, And then... there's a lot more information on Ankh-Mor Pork than most other things. Well, of course, because that's where you're going to want to set a the start, at least the start of a game. Yeah, because even though, like, say all the witches' books and whatnot take place... Lanker in and Lanker, Badass. And you've got, you know, a few random ones that'll take place in, like, Clatch or whatever. Um, for at least one of them. But with those, it's usually either a standalone or it's a setting that you wouldn't really be able to make... A lot of waves in like if you start as a character in lanker you're like oh you're not gonna be able to do much of anything because you're gonna try and do something granny weatherwax is gonna tell you to calm your shit down yeah and that's gonna well, be it i feel like every character who starts their story in lankers the next the first chapter of their story is how i got to ankma pork yeah <laughs> that's that's just normal but uh i mean they they still have all the other places there for if you want to go to xxxx or whatever I, I like that they also even mentioned that a few of them are too boring to bother with yeah uh, the one I forget what it is—the one with all the cabbage, where they're just like, "Nah, I don't even worry about it." Yeah, don't don't worry, it's fine. It's if you go there, they'll give you a table that's outside at every restaurant you go to until you get the hint and leave. Oh yeah, it's the uh, it's the Sweden country where they're like, "What do they have? Oh, they have a lot of cheese and they're very nice, but they don't want you there." Yeah. <laughs> all right, so they do have like we should really talk a little bit about the rules that are presented in in this book. So they present the races for playing as the following. Dwarves, werewolves, trolls, and we should probably talk a little bit about the dwarves and trolls of, of uh, Discworld, because they're so interesting. Oh yeah, because a lot of the other ones, like, a vampire is still basically a vampire werewolf, still basically a werewolf, mm-hmm. but the dwarves in this have the, almost universally, the literal-minded flaw. Well, what's neat is that it, they have the extremely literal-minded flaw. Because of narrative convention working the way it does across the Discworld, everyone in the Discworld is super literal all the time. Because why wouldn't they be? Hyperbole and metaphor are just as likely to be fact as metaphor. Oh, yeah. Well, when someone says something as a metaphor, it is likely to exist somewhere in the world. Yeah, so they're always like, well, why would I take a flying leap at the moon? I don't want to hit the moon. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and dwar- the the dwarves have that to the extreme. Yes. To the point where they can't even really understand if someone uses a metaphor and similes they can almost get. Mm-hmm. 
but then they will disagree with you because it is not actually like that. Yeah, yeah, they, they get close, but they're like, no, <laughs> it's, it's not raining cats and dogs, that's water. <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh no, my clothes are not like a grand sooty fireplace, they are like burlap, and they are not they on, are burlap. And they are not on fire. <laughs> uh, so they have the excessively literal quality, they also have the unidentifiable gender Yep. All dwarves just look like dwarves. They're always wearing at least ten layers of clothing. And uh, the other thing they have is specifically dwarven greed, because greed is a flaw that exists in GURPS. Yes. But they have dwarven greed, and dwarven greed is specifically for gold. Yes. And it means that if, say, someone's going to pay you for a job, and someone else comes along, and they will pay you technically less... But in gold, you are way more likely to take it because you have a ridiculous need for gold. Which leads to one of my favorite quotes from all of Discworld, which is that dwarves don't really love gold. They just say that to get it into bed. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so you can also play as trolls, which are one of my favorite things about Discworld. I love trolls in the Discworld. So trolls in Discworld are giant rocks. They're rocks that have had the bad sense to get up and start walking around. Yep. Uh, in their natural environment, which is up in the mountains, they're quite intelligent, but that's because they are made out, their brains are made out of silicon. So the colder they are, the more efficiently they operate. So when you get trolls down where you know normal people are living, they're generally seen as slow and stupid and lumbering because it's so much warmer down there that their brains aren't working as well. But by the time they get down there, they're dumb enough to not recognize that anything's changed, and so they don't care. Yeah, whereas... One of the relatives of the troll is the Yeti, which is in super snowy climates, who is ridiculously cunning and fast, and you're like, oh god, it's a troll that knows what it's doing. Yeah. Now, trolls primarily eat rocks, because they're made of rocks. Yeah. And their teeth are diamonds. (laughs) And they even have rules in this book for what happens if a troll decides to punch its own teeth out and spend them, because that happened in soul music. And uh, the actual troll brain is a disadvantage that exists in this, just like dwarven greed and dwarven literalness. The troll brain is its own disadvantage. Yes, and then you can also play as werewolves. Yep, Uh, and werewolf is mostly just back and forth between being a uh, wolf or a person. And they mention, this is an interesting thing they mention, uh... Morphic, your morphic characteristic, which is that even if you're if you're a human and you get turned into a toad or something, your magic signature is still human in shape. And so eventually, the forces of the universe will not be happy that you're a, a, a toad shaped human, and they'll snap you back to normal. Yeah, which and is- the interesting thing in this is it's way easier to shape shift a smarter creature because a rock or whatever can't believe that they should be that because belief is huge in Discworld. It's how the gods even exist and get powers through belief and your own belief that someone can transform you is what makes it easier for you to be transformed. So if a witch says, I'll turn you into a toad, you're like, oh man, witches turn people into toads. I believe that. Your own belief will begin to make it easier and shape your own morphic field to turn you into a toad. Right. Well, so werewolves have a a morphic field that switches between human and wolf, so they can change. They can stay as one or the other, and they'll eventually snap back to whatever they they were. Yeah. Uh, so that's another ra- race you can play. You can also play as gnomes and and uh, uh, goblins, goblins, which are basically the same thing. If you remember Wee Mad Arthur, then you know what this is. It's little tiny guys. Yeah. Super like two inch tall little dudes. Yeah. 
And they're like, oh, man, if you work hard, you could build your strength all the way to eight. Yeah. Which is way below human average. But still, you're a two-inch guy with a strength of eight. Yeah, so it's very impressive. And so that's that's one of the other races you can play. You can also play as, uh, what's the word I'm looking for here, for personifications? Oh, yeah. So that's one of the other big things in this is there are personifications of things. The most popular and well-known one probably being the death. most Yeah, probably the most famous character in Discworld. Yeah. Death. Who speaks in all capitals and doesn't so much say words as implant them in your head. Yeah, and is also very literal. Yes. Although he has begun to learn a little bit more because he's fascinated by humans. Yes. And because of a couple of accidental belief jokes and magic spells, there are a few more deaths out there beyond him, including the famous death of rats and the slightly less famous death of fleas. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because at one point, death went on vacation, which means there had to be a death for everything. Yes. So... When he got rid of them, Death of Rats just got to stick around because that's hilarious. Yeah, because it's adorable. A tiny rat skeleton in a little... That says, in all caps, squeak. Yeah. (laughs) And that's it. That's all. I love those books. (laughs) Uh, So Death is a personification of Death, but there are more things like that out there. For example, the Hogfather, which is sort of the the Santa of the universe. Yep. Uh, The Tooth Fairy, which is actually kind of a union of individual Tooth Fairies. Yep. Which are just people. That yeah, do weird the, tooth-based jobs. Yeah, the uh, the whole idea of belief running things is great. Yeah. I absolutely love that. The soul cake duck. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. So you can play as these, although it mentions that it's very difficult to play as them because they tend to be kind of single-minded about what it is they're trying to do. Yeah, because you are a personification of either an idea or a holiday, a, a holiday or whatever, you are very singular in what you do yes like some of the greater personifications like death can kind of get around and do whatever a mm-hmm. little more but even then he he's still very businessman like yeah he has work to do he has a, he has to get on binky and go and collect a soul of a wizard because he always shows up in person for wizards yeah well and wizards get to know the time of their death if they want to yes so do witches yeah so uh anyway you can play as those you can also play as intelligent talking animals I think that's just because they're trying to hit all the notes. Like, they're like, all right, so Gaspode the Wonder Dog exists. So some players may want to play as something like Gaspode the Wonder Dog, which is just a dog that learned how to talk and is sort of disappointed that it did because humans don't say anything interesting. And because everyone knows that dogs can't talk, so whenever it talks, they do not assume that the dog has been talking, and they'll just assume someone else said it. Yeah, and so his primary phrase is, give the nice doggy a biscuit. Yeah, and someone will go like, oh, yeah, that's probably a good idea. I should do that. That was probably me that thought that. Yeah. So it's, it's great, and then, uh, yeah, there's, I think, is there anything else you can play as? Vampires did we really get into? But no, really... but vampires are playable uh, if you want, because, again, they exist in the game world. And they have the longest list of stuff that is in their package yeah. that you get. Yeah, it's it's very hard to play as one from the beginning. I feel like it's probably also, because of Dorful, it's probably also to play as Golems. I think they're just part of trolls. Yeah, they, they're mentioned under trolls. And trolls and... Uh, well, there, there are four. There's there's trolls, gnolls, yeti, and uh, gargoyles. Yeah. And gargoyles being the actual gargoyles on buildings, which are just modified trolls that exist to filter food out of water that yeah, flows they, through the back of the head. they get their food from filtering things, and so the that's all they do. And the occasional pigeon. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So, uh, I, I, so, like we were saying, this is mostly a gazetteer. Like, it's just... 
here's all the stuff in the Discworld. Have fun. So there's a few extra skills. There's a few things about the tech level of Discworld, which they say is three with a lot of modifications because things like cameras and, and movies exist occasionally. Oh, yeah. They're given all of the various books that have been out. They're like, if you want to have an adventure where someone invents something that is anachronistic to the tech level of Discworld, just put an in a box. It. Yeah. Uh, they said that they say that Discworld is predominantly tech level three. There is one exception to that that I'm I'm well aware of, which is glasses, because yeah. glasses are a tech level five thing. But a lot of characters in Discworld have them because a lot of characters in Discworld are old nerds. Well, and also because of the narrative convention, you have to be able to take off your glasses and say "My God." Yeah, or or rub your your nose after removing your glasses briefly because you're thinking about something. Yeah. So anyway, it's it's all very cool. It's an interesting setting. They did a pretty good job of adapting. What would be a very daunting task to adapt? I mean, Discworld is a lot of information. Yeah, and they do give you a little bit about what to play in mm-hmm. Discworld. Yeah. So, you know, you've got things from, you can play like a 50 to 75 point, very low power character that gets swept up in grand events. And this happens quite a lot in the Discworld books. Yeah, they'd be like playing as knobs. Yeah, you're just like, look, you you got swept up in something way outside your pay grade, but for some reason, you are in the middle of it. Yeah. Or you could play as something in the 100 to 150 range, at which point you're probably playing one of the... The city guard. Yeah, or, you know, like a, a kid who's just discovering they have magic, and so they're making their way to Unseen University. They have a few spells they can cast, which is kind of expensive, but not like a crazy amount. Yeah, you might be like a thaumaturge for some wizard. Yeah. Like, you, you're the one that actually survives going to get these weird chemicals for them. And if you want to go up over 150, then now you're playing like the, the actual Wizards of Unseen University or the people from the Assassin's Guild. Yeah, you're going to be playing a for reals protagonist instead of just someone that happens to have the story moving around them. Yeah, actually kind of rare in Discworld. Yes. There's very few times where you're like, oh yeah, there's a guy here who is straight up just moving events forward by his own self. Although I feel like that got more common as the books developed because, you know, there was a point where I'd say there were like five books in a row that were just Vimes books. Well, Vimes is great. You got a few like Monstrous Regiment where you'd have more protagonist in there. Mm -hmm. But... Uh, most of the old books is really just events are happening and people are responding. Yeah, to some them. random kid gets swept up into it, and by the end he has a girl in his spell. Yeah. Yeah, but a lot of the time it's, what's going on with Kohan the Barbarian? Well, he's a crazy barbarian who's 80. <laughs> but he's still the most amazing badass on the planet. Yeah, so there are books where they they do check in with a powerful character and stick along with them. I'd say the most possible or, or prominent example of that is all the books that's just death doing stuff. Oh, yeah. The death books, wonderful. I love Mort. Yeah. He's one of my favorite little characters in there. Yeah, and Susan Stohelet is an amazing... She's the... Because of the way morphic fields work, she's the daughter of death. Yeah. Mostly because he just said so. Yeah, he adopted her, and so there you go. Yeah. And then she'd started to develop traits that wouldn't even happen if she had evolved from the being born of death. <laughs> like, she has a she has a scar on her face that's, that's a spot where death slapped her father. Huh. <laughs> there you go. Anyway, um, John, what would you say was your favorite thing? About GURPS Discworld. Uh, okay. So I'm going to break that down into two things. One is my favorite thing in GURPS. Sure. Which is the quirks in the book. Good call, yeah. Uh, quirks is, there's the merits and flaws, but quirks is a thing where you can have up to five. Mm-hmm. They're worth one point each, so you get one point by having them. Uh-huh. And it's just little things about your character that don't really affect uh, anything mechanically, but are weird things about your character. So... It might be something like 
constantly checks their watch. Like they want to know what time it is or, uh, stargazes to the point where they lose sleep or whatever it happens to be. Uh They have little obsessions, little quirks about them that they really like. And that's one of my favorite things in GURPS because it's an incentive to make your character more interesting. Right. Yeah. So it's, it rewards you for role-playing in a very small way. Yeah. It doesn't mean, oh man, well you took like one leg because you really needed 20 more points you don't really need one leg for the character. It has nothing to do with his backstory. You just wanted 20 more points. Yeah, I'll be in a mech suit the entire game. Don't even worry about my one leg. Yeah, so when that happens, it's annoying. But with the quirks, because you don't get anything out of them, it's just a fun way to flesh out your character. Okay, and your other favorite thing? And the favorite thing from the Discworld part of the book is I like the uh, the actual specific things for the packages for playing as the races i love dwarven literalism yeah and that it's not just a thing you can only take as if you're a dwarf because of course you can just be raised by dwarves and have dwarven literalism yeah no yeah of course because you could be carrot iron founders and yeah i i like that in the start of the dwarf section they have a picture of a lot of the famous dwarves of uh Discworld, and you can very clearly see cheery in there yeah because she has eye makeup on <laughs> because she's a very modern dwarf <laughs> uh, I also enjoy that the <laughs> I love dwarf names that whoever's the most famous is what you're going to be. So instead of like like Iron Founder's son, you could be like I'm Mort's cousin. Oh yeah, they have they have uh, Mogo's cousin is the name of one of the dwarves. <laughs> yeah, and he's the cousin of the gardener at the at the Unseen University. <laughs> yeah, because it's the most famous dwarf that's around there. So you're Mogo's cousin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Again, another great example of dwarven literalism. Yes. I love that. Okay, so there you go. That's mine. What do you got for your favorite? You don't need to do two. I uh, just decided to. That's fair enough. I, I uh, There were some things I liked about the GURPS engine. I liked that it uses a uh, a bell curve for its da- its uh, primary role mechanic. Ah, uh, yes. Which I feel like one of the biggest weaknesses to most of the D20 game systems is that they are unreasonably swingy for some reason. Well, yeah, this- that reason being you have a... <laughs> Single die that goes from 1 to 20. Yeah, well, I know, the, I know the mechanics of why they're swinging. I don't understand why that's never been corrected in all these old games. Meh. So anyway, 3D6 is a great way to do a bell curve where you're most likely going to be fairly competent at your core cult, or like a career path. Because you have these stats, you're like, I'm always trying to roll under a 14. It's not that unlikely that I won't, but it does happen from time to time. Yeah. So I like that. I like that it uses a bell curve for its core mechanic. When it comes to actually what I like about the interaction between GURPS and Discworld, uh, I'm going to say that I also like a lot of the skill packages, but I'm going to focus in on the trolls because it starts by saying it's imperative that players be able to play as trolls. So even though they are a very powerful race, even though they have a lot of crazy things going on that make them very different from a standard starting character, here's a package that you can use to play one even if you're at under 100 points. Yeah, because, and it, it's the same thing with vampires, when I said they had one of the longest starting packages, it's because they have a ton of advantages, disadvantages, little things that they're like, you have this, you have this, you have this, you have this. Like, okay, you've got a uh, vulnerability to sunlight, and it's common. You've got the need to sleep during the night, and it's common. You've got this. You got, And so it's this giant laundry list, but they're like, yeah, but if you want to play one, overall, when it takes the full account of the package, it's like 30 points. Yeah, so you can still do it. And I like that, because... If you're playing in Discworld, you're likely to want to be able to play as the cool characters of Discworld. You're going to want to play as that cool troll drummer. Oh, yeah. You're going to want to make music with rocks in. Yeah. 
<laughs> oh man, I love that book. That's probably my favorite book. In... It's it's definitely up there. Soul yeah. music is probably in my top three. It's yeah, Small Gods and Soul Music, and I want to say probably Mort is my third. Yeah, and I'm probably gonna go with Hogfather, Soul Music, and The Color of Magic. There you go. So I I just I love them all. Yeah. What was your least favorite thing about this book or GURPS or whatever? Uh, okay, least favorite thing is definitely going to be on the GURPS side, just way too much shenanigans. The ability to game the system in any merits and flaws, we've gone over this a million times, but you t- you get too many and it becomes just an excuse to try and min-max. Yeah. It, so when you have so many merits and flaws, it it ends up being one of those things where as a character you look at it and you go, if I didn't spend, like let's say the book says, oh, you can have up to 50 points of flaws. Mm-hmm. And that's the game you're playing. If you look at it and go, I only have 30 points of flaws, you feel like you're leaving points on the table and not getting them. Yeah. And so I just don't like the systems that do that. Yeah. I, I mean, granted, this one was more balanced than I was expecting when I started reading it, because every one of the, I, you know, I was looking through the, the the flaws, and I was like, all right, where's the one that doesn't actually have any problems with it? Where's <laughs> the one where it's like, you're ugly, but you don't have to care about it ever because you, like, have a mask on or something? And it never really had that. They were all pretty blanket. Yeah. Uh, a few of them were a little old-fashioned. I mean, granted, they were so you could play very realistic games, because, again, this is the generic universal role-playing system. So if you want to play as a game where it's a real pain in the ass, if you happen to be playing as a Native American then sure, have 25 extra points for playing as a Native American. But remember that all these white guys hate you. Yep. <laughs> so there's there's that. And then for the Discworld side, my least favorite thing in the book is probably the extra spells they added in. Some of them are interesting. I mean, obviously the Ashgenta you got to have. And there's a few other, like the Borrowing. But then I was just looking at it going like, man, this goes on for a few pages too long. Yeah. There's just a few too many things in there. And even if I was playing, say, one of the wizards from Unseen University, I don't I don't know that I would particularly care about the spells because a lot of them are just, this happened to be in one of the books, so we put it in here. Right. And you're like, oh, yeah, but the only reason that existed in that book is because they needed it for that book. Yeah. It's not one that you'd usually see pop up. Right. Absolutely. I would say if I were picking a least favorite thing uh, from GURPS, I already talked about it during the episode. I don't like it when the defense system doesn't interact with the attack roll. Yeah. Uh, that means that it's very easy to just boost your defense to the point where you don't care what people are trying to hit you with. Mm-hmm. Uh, if they hit you at all, it's because they crit and there was nothing you could do about it. So don't build against crits. Just build against anyone else. And that, I feel like that's probably something that isn't even a problem in real GURPS. That maybe it's only in GURPS light? Maybe. I don't know. Given that you do have your own defense value, the at least the fact that you have to roll as your action rather than I can attack and also roll my defense. Yeah. Although I'm sure that there's some, uh, some merit, merit out there, out there that lets you get around it. Extra attacks or you're very fluid with your defense and you can always apply an active defense against the first attack. Yeah. I'm sure there's something like that out there because the game went on for way too long. Yes. Uh, I don't remember. Is GURPS additional? Is there multiple editions of it? I think there, there is. are. Yeah. I think the current one is fourth edition. Okay. All right. Well, there you go. So that's my least favorite thing about GURPS. I don't really feel like I have a generic least favorite thing about the, the uh, Discworld side. I feel like everything I read, I very much enjoyed. It was just a simple sort of, here's an introduction to the world. Yep. So I don't I don't feel like I even have one there. I, I, I'd i say 
even if you don't want to play GURPS, and Lord knows I don't want to play GURPS, <laughs> uh, I'd still say this book's a solid recommend because it was written by Terry Pratchett. It's an actual Discworld book. And the thing is, taking out all of the, like, bolded uh, little things on the character information, mm -hmm. just having this book, ignoring the rules section in the back that's, you know, 20 pages of GURPS rules, if you just took this Discworld book and said, hey, we're going to play this in insert system here. Yeah. You can do that because most of what the Discworld GURPS book is, is information and, and advice. theme. Yeah. Theme. Perfect word for it. Yeah. Yeah. So there you go. So I, I would say that I feel like the first half of this book, or most of this book, the stuff that's about Discworld is great system agnostic information. Yep. And there you go. John, would you play this game? Uh, I would. I don't hate GURPS the way that I feel like I probably should. And I love Discworld, so if someone told me they were going to run a GURPS game in Discworld, I'd probably be all aboard. Yeah, I feel like most of the things that are famously hateable about GURPS, and there's stuff I don't need to research to know, is that some of the books, some of the expansions for it are obscenely complicated for, like, no real gain. Like, I know that the GURPS car books are just absurdly complicated, with all these rules for, like, what your transmission does. Oh, yeah, hmm. once they get into very specific topics you're like man you're trying to write an entire book on cars yeah. which means because this is gurps you can't just say here are stats for cars you have to be able to go how do you build a car what are all the various things that go into a car how do those mechanics interact with other mechanics and then it takes say a skill like drive mm -hmm. that would normally just be all right here's your skill in drive it normally defaults to like dex minus one it's super easy whatever but with this, you're like, oh, well, this is the car book. So now we have to have like various versions of drive and drive stuntman and drive yeah. angry. And we, we've talked about that before. Like when we did the um, master books system and when yeah. we were reading through uh, Tales from the Crypt, had all these extra skills that were just like, oh, radio operations, not good enough anymore. Now you have three kinds of radio operation. Yeah. And none of them you help start you. Drilling down too far in one of these generic systems. You end up taking something that was fine and then just splitting it up into so many specific things that you're like, man, I really hope that I don't have a DM running this game that also owns that book and says, oh, did you have skills in drive? Well, we're also using the car book, so you can't just do that. You're going to need to take the specific drive skills. You're like, man, we are just playing like a modern gangsters setting. I don't need to do that. Yeah, so fair enough. I would also play this game. I, I love Discworld enough that I would throw my throw it, my hat in and play it. I would happily use this as a system, as a system agnostic setting. This yeah. is a great setting to play Fate in, for example. That'd be just fine. No, Discworld is an amazing setting. It's one that I, I wouldn't want to just play with anyone running it, though. Because mm -hmm. you have to have whoever's running the game know the setting, like, very well, and have the right sense of humor and the right idea about the theme yeah you can't just say oh well we're gonna play in Discworld, but i'm pretty much just running a D, D game because that's not gonna work fair enough okay so uh you got anything else you want to say about this game in particular uh nah, i think nah, we're I think good. good i think we're there all right great thank you very much for listening everybody as always we have been the system mastery podcast 
You can find us at SystemMasteryPodcast.com or as System Mastery on Facebook, Gmail, or Twitter. If you're one of our supporters on Patreon and it only takes any amount to support us on Patreon and get what's coming up, the bonus content. That's right. If you support us at any amount, even less than a dollar, you get our bonus content where every time we make an actual System Mastery episode, we then spend some time making characters in that system and describing the process and the results to you, the bonus supporters. So very soon you're going to get not only a GURPS character, but a Discworld GURPS character out of us if you're a supporter. That's right. We recently hit one of our final goals on the Patreon, so we now have to do In Theaters Now with our Movie Mastery podcast, in which once every uh, two weeks we go out and watch a movie, and then we report the results back to you. We roll randomly for what the movie's going to be. We never know until we watch it. But for In Theaters Now, we've flipped the script a little bit and put it in your hands. We put out a list of every movie that's in theaters that month and let the listeners vote. Right now, there's a strong lead for the CGI children's film Angry Birds. Oh, yeah. I don't feel like it's going to be that bad. I mean, it stars Jason Sudeikis. I like him. Yeah, I I get a real good sense that I'm probably going to not like him at the end of that movie. I feel like I'm going to be asleep by the end of that movie. But here, <laughs> but I'm going to force myself awake for you, the listener. Thank you so much for hitting us, getting that Patreon goal for us. If you're wondering why our next goal after our $300 goal is a $3,000 goal, it's because we're starting to run out of stuff that we could do as Patreon support bonus levels. <laughs> Given that we both work full-time and do, like, four different podcasts. We've had a lot of people requesting video content, and I don't even know how we'd do it. We'd have to give up on something else. Oh, yeah. We'd have to lose something to add more content at this point. So, you know, we'll we'll add some stuff in there that we can do to add on to what's already happening. But uh, Well, hell, make suggestions. Yeah. If there's something you want to see us do... We'll find out if we can do it, and if so, how much it would actually take for us to do. I think the big one would be setting realistic goals for what it's going to cost for us to go to conventions on weekends. Like, real conventions around the country. Cause we for get re- realsies conventions, because, man, that is expensive. Because we get requests to go to Gen Con, to go to Seattle conventions all the time, and that is way more expensive than the original goal we set for it. When we put it, we're like, <laughs> if we make it $200 a month, we'll totally show up at Gen Con. And I was like, wait, even if we made $1,200 during the year... That, that would, would be less than it costs to fly there, get a hotel, <laughs> yeah. eat, fly back. Let alone paying for the ticket to attend. Yeah. So we're still trying to figure out what the realistic goal is there, but we really want to start doing that stuff. So like I said, make suggestions. Let us know what you'd like to hear. And otherwise, thanks so much for listening. Stick around for the bonus content, which will be over on our actual Patreon site. And have a great week. 